Nearly every American and millions of people around the world are familiar with Martin Luther King's I Have a Dream speech, yet most know little about the March on Washington at which it was delivered. The tremendous eloquence and elegant simplicity of the speech meant that many, then and now, came to associate the broader goals of the demonstration with King's compelling vision of interracial harmony a dream of a nation that would finally live up to its founders' proclamations about the self-evident equality of all people, in which children would be judged by the content of their character rather than the color of their skin, and in which citizens would be able to work together, to pray together, to struggle together, to go to jail together, to stand up for freedom together, knowing that we will be free one day. Few know that King's was the last of ten speeches— capping more than six hours of performances by well-known musicians, appearances by politicians and movie stars, and statements of solidarity from groups across the nation and around the world, as well as an actual march. Even fewer know that it was a march for jobs and freedom, and that it aimed not just to end racial segregation and discrimination in the Jim Crow South, but also to ensure that Americans of all races had access to quality education, affordable housing, and jobs that paid a living wage. We forget that King's task was to uplift the spirits of marchers after a long day in the sun and, for most, a night traveling by bus or train from as far away as New York, Chicago, Atlanta, and even Los Angeles— One reporter observed that while King ignited the crowd with his optimistic vision of the future, the other speakers concentrated on the struggle ahead and spoke in tough, even harsh language. Yet those other speeches have been virtually lost to history. On August 28, 1963, nearly a quarter million people descended on the nation's capital to demand jobs and freedom. By freedom, they meant that every American be guaranteed access to stores, restaurants, hotels, and other public accommodations, to decent housing and adequate and integrated education, and to the right to vote. They also wanted strict enforcement of those civil rights, including the withholding of federal funds from discriminatory programs and housing developments, the reduction of congressional representation in states where citizens were denied the right to vote, and authorization of the Attorney General to bring injunctive suits when any constitutional right is violated. Some of those demands were addressed by a civil rights bill that President John F. Kennedy had introduced to Congress on June 11, 1963, two months before the demonstration. Marchers wanted to pass that bill, but they believe it was far too limited. In addition to equal access to public accommodations and the right to vote, they demanded a massive federal program to train and place all unemployed workers, Negro and white, on meaningful and dignified jobs at decent wages. They wanted to raise the minimum wage to a level that would give all Americans a decent standard of living, and to extend that standard to agricultural workers, domestic servants, and public employees, who were excluded from the federal law that created the minimum wage. For many marchers, the most important objective was the creation of a Fair Employment Practices Committee, or FEPC, to prevent private firms, government agencies, and labor unions from discriminating against workers on the basis of race, color, religion, or national origin. King delivered the finale at the Lincoln Memorial, but the tone for the day was set in an opening address by A. Philip Randolph, the 74-year-old trade unionist 
who was the official leader of the March on Washington. Randolph agreed with King on the need for integration and racial equality in the South, but he linked those objectives to a broader national and interracial struggle for economic and social justice. We are the advance guard of a massive moral revolution for jobs and freedom, he told a crowd that stretched out for more than a mile before him. He declared that the civil rights movement affected every city, every town, every village where black men are segregated, oppressed, and exploited, but insisted it was not confined to the Negroes, nor is it confined to civil rights. It was critical to end segregation in southern stores and restaurants, the union leader insisted, but those accommodations will mean little to those who cannot afford to use them.